that whole thing. So. Okay, so is that uh, besides I think it's time for a little hold on, ten o'clock, twenty one o'clock. So so let's just do the the, the, the three um, questions we had, discussion questions for this paragraph. And we're really going to have to, after after Vohar, we're going to really have to move through this book because this is the last day and we still have a number of points left. So, uh, what is Allah's uh, rewards for the believers? That he multiplies huh, their good deeds by tenfold or by seventy-fold, uh, fold or by multiple than that. Do, does avoiding major sins expiate minor sins? Yes, we gave the proofs. What is the ruling regarding a Muslim who dies unrepentant from their major sins? Underneath Allah's will, if He if He forgives them, that's if not, um, then He will uh, have to be punished uh, in the hellfire to remove the sin. Because in paradise, only the pure can enter into paradise. Um, with that, uh, I think it's time for salah, right? My question. Yeah? Okay. So, inshallah, we'll, we'll pray and then we'll we'll come back promptly to study this. Subhanahu wa bihamdika. Alhamdulillah Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulullah wa ba'id Let me answer this one question And as the brothers are finishing their prayers We can then move to the new uh, topic uh, The sister asks If someone falls into error And has committed a major sin Which is punishable by flogging And when she or he realizes His or her fault and does repentance And as well as wanting to have The punishment done But local uh, locally but cannot find any institution to carry out such a punishment which you should do well here this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has 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 covered her from her sin so she doesn't have to I mean if she's repented that's sufficient she doesn't have to actually go out and be punished you know what I'm saying that works you know so that's you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made things easy for the person so the repentance is sufficient here if it's a sincere repentance and that's all that's required you know what I'm saying so uh, you don't I mean there's a question about is it permissible to carry out the hudud in a non-Islamic line that's a fiqh issue you know what I'm and uh, probably the strongest opinion is given the circumstances and also just from the shiriah itself that it's not permissible but then comes the question is that okay what happens even if a person is in a Muslim line let's say a person fell into zina like in Saudi Arabia where they do flog the person for zina right or a person drinks in Saudi Arabia where they flog the person for drinking or Pakistan or any of these countries where there's some application of Sharia. Should the person turn himself in? If he repents, there's no reason for him to turn him himself in. I mean, you know, in fact, I, I know many times they used to come and the people would call Sheikh Ibn Baz and said, I fell into this sort of sin and so forth. And they would just say, repent. I mean, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has covered your sin, there's no reason to expose yourself uh, and, and, you know, bring on that. But once this once is brought to the imam, the imam has no recourse but to to fulfill the punishment. That's why the Prophet when he used to come to the Prophet and he used to say, I committed this like I sin like this, and he used to turn his face away, you know. You know, not the Prophet would turn his face away. Not you know, to pretend like he did not, you know what I'm saying, hear it. And then the person would come on this direction, you know what I'm saying? And then the person third so after he did three times the Prophet used to ask him, Well, you know, perhaps you're insane, you know what I'm saying? You know, you're not, you know, you're fine. The person said, no, I'm fine. Perhaps he just touched her. You know what I'm saying? And then the person said, no, you know, until he described in the Prophet said, you know. So, so the point is, is that, I mean, the hudud, you know, some people, even some brothers, they have a misunderstanding. The hudud are there 
as a last recourse for just those few individuals who, you know, the, 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 their, their taqwa and the public morality will not stop them from, from falling into that state. That, that is a deterrent. I mean, the, the idea of an Islamic state is not just to go around flogging people or, you know, cutting off hands. No, it's something that should occur, you know, when it occurs, it's something rare or something like that, and it's a way to clear that, and it's a deterrent and so forth. But, I mean, you know, people should be taught to repent, you know what I'm saying? And people should be taught not to fall into these sins, and if they fall to repent, then how to get out of it. But then if it reaches the Imam, you know what I'm saying, then uh, at that point, he, you know, uh, then he has to, you know what I'm saying, enforce it. It has to be done. Yes, brother. By any, by any, by any means. By any means. Yes, or if somebody witnesses it. Four witnesses witness for actions, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, it's now become, it's, 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 it's gone from a private affair where Allah has covered the sin now to something public in society. And so therefore, the, the thing about, you know, once the sin reaches into the public and becomes a society, the society has to react in order to purify the society. But once the sin is done, if the sin is done in private, then the individuals between him and Allah is which He should not bring it out to public. If he's brought it to public, then it should be, you know, it has to be dealt with, you see. You can see, pu- public sins are, are, are what would cause nations to be destroyed by Allah, so, so. Private sins can cause individuals to be destroyed, but the nation as a whole, you know what I'm saying, won't, you know, be destroyed. No, it's not the sin. I mean, the person, I mean, the person who makes confesses it is, is two types, right? The person who confesses it out of pride, you know, what I'm saying, I did such and such, I did such and such, and so that's obviously a major sin. But the person who confesses it because he wants to say, you know, he's so um, much remorse and he wants to make sure that, you know, because when you make toba to Allah, there's no guarantee that your toba is accepted by Allah. So the person wants to make sure that on the day of judgment. You know, he will not have, you know, this, this matter, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, in order to do that, he wants the sin just to be wiped out from him so he can be clean, so then therefore he, you know, he does it. Clayb, let's try to, to take the, the new information, because we do have quite a lot, and there's only an hour and a half left in, in this uh, session, um, which is the last session, unfortunately. So we come to paragraph number 11. Okay, so remember we said that the person who does the kabirah, the major sin, is underneath Allah's punishment. Uh, underneath, excuse me, underneath Allah's uh, will. If Allah wishes to forgive him, Allah may, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punish him with hellfire. So if all of these things didn't, you know, one through eight, didn't occur or didn't benefit him, you know, that, and the sin is still there, the last stop is Allah's mercy. If Allah wants to forgive him and just wipe it out, alhamdulillah, that's Allah's wafur and rahim. But if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to do with him in his justice, that person will have to be punished. So what about those people who are then punished in the hellfire from the believers? That's what the author, Ibn Zayd al-Qayrawani, rahmatullah now picks up in this next paragraph. So he says, whomever Allah punishes with his fire, he will eventually be removed due to his iman, and Allah will enter him into his paradise. So that him is capital, it should be lowercase. It's enter him here, doesn't put the law, so it's a typo. 
So whomever Allah punishes with his fire, Allah will eventually remove uh, him due to that per- from, from the fire, uh, due to that person's iman, and it will enter that person into Allah's paradise, his paradise, yeah. his jannah. And the proof is, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah uh, Zilzal, okay, it's like 96, I think, not 96, so maybe Surah 100, Surah number 100 in number. Um, uh, uh, whoever does a, a, a good deed which is the equivalent huh, to the weight of an ant the smallest ant he will see it they translate it as an atom's weight but I mean the word dharra in the Arabic language meant the, the smallest ant you know. so he will see it so, so therefore the, the believer will have to eventually see his good deeds so huh what 99 yeah, 100 is uh, Surah 99. It's 99 uh, 7. Huh? Uh, verse 7. Yeah. And likewise, the Prophet says in the, uh, tells us that in the Qudsi hadith, which is reported by Bukhari in, in the Book of Tawheed, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, By my might, by my glory, I will take out of the hellfire whoever says, La ilaha Allah. Whoever dies upon Tawheed will eventually make it out of the hellfire. Um, some people have the notion that the hellfire for the believers who are punished for their major sins is like a hot scalding water. Like a hot bath. You know. That's based on false hadith. Because the true hadith tell us that when they're taken out of the hellfire, they'll become burnt and they'll be like charcoal. Brickets, you know. Coal, burnt coal. And they'll be dropped into the river of life and they will sprout back again. And everything burns except for the, the places of, of the of the of the prayer, the face, the hands, the knees, and, and the the part of the prayer. Uh, also, Allah will remove from the hellfire uh, individuals by the intercession of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu who whoever uh, he intercedes for among those who are unrepentant of their major sins from the members of his ummah. So now we come to the issue of intercession of the Prophet The intercession of the Prophet is different types. There is one intercession which, which is known as the Shafa'atul Uzma. Maybe this is something to write down. So, so the, the first intercession is called the Great Intercession, a Shafa'atul Uzma. And this is specific to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. As shafa'at al-Uzma, just for the great intercession, the great shafa'ah. You know, that's fine. The great intercession. Um, now, this is the intercession to start the judgment. To start the judgment, the day of judgment. See, the people, humanity will be raised, as we said. Uh, as we were created, right? Which meant what? Barefooted, uncircumcised, and one other thing, and make it right. And so humanity will be under great duress because of, you know, just wanting, because the judgment hasn't started yet. And uh, the sun will draw near to humanity, human beings will sweat according to, their, to the amount of their evil deeds. Some people, their sweat will reach 
their ankles, other their knees, other their waist, some their breasts. Some people will be drowning in their sweat. And of course there will be those groups of people who will be underneath the shade of Allah's throne on the day that there's no shade but that shade. And so a group of human beings, will, you know, they just want, they're just panicky. They just want to get this over with. They, they, they can't wait any longer. So they go to Adam and they say, Oh Adam, you are the first human being. You're Allah's prophet. And Allah gave these his very hands. Will you not intercede for us before Allah? Then Allah starts the judgment. So Adam will say, I committed a sin. I ate from the tree which Allah forbade me from. And today is a day in which Allah is angered. He has never been angered like he has this day. And we know when Allah has been angered on some days how he's destroyed whole communities of humanity. So yet this is a day when his anger has never been like his anger. And Adam will say, my own soul, my own soul, go to Nuh. And Nuh alayhi salam will also, will come to Nuh and say, you're the first messenger sent to humanity. See, Adam is a Nabi, but Nuh is the first Rasul. Okay. So you're the first messenger sent to humanity. Will you not intercede with Allah Azza to start the judgment? And Noah will say, I asked Allah that which I should have not asked him. When he asked Allah to save his son. And today is a day in which Allah is angered. He's never been angered like this day before. My own soul, my own soul. Go to Ibrahim. And then they will go to Ibrahim alayhi salam. And they will also ask Ibrahim to intercede on their behalf before Allah And Ibrahim will say, I lied three lies. And this is a day in which Allah has angered. He has never been angered like he has this day. My own soul, my own soul, go to Musa And we know the three lies of Adam were not lies. Ibrahim, excuse me. The three lies of Ibrahim were not lies like what we were talking about. There were lies for the sake of Allah. The, the, the first lie when, when, um, when, he, when he wanted to not participate in the Eid that they had, the, the festivals, the worships they had. And so he, uh, you know, he, had, he was debating his people about Tawheed and not worshiping, because his people worship the stars, right? So here he is, he lies down, he looks at the stars, and he says, I am sick. So these people, they worship the stars. So they say, oh, you see? The stars have now struck him because he's talking bad about our, our, our idols. To get out of that. And the second one was, well, after he, when they go to their festivals to their aid, and he goes to the temple, he breaks their idols, and he puts the axe around the biggest idol, and he says, it's the big one, obviously. If he's got the axe, all the, ones are, all the idols are smashed there. You know, so ask him. So that was the second block. And the third was when he was with his wife, Sarah, in Egypt, after they had left Iraq, you know, they went to Egypt. And there, you know, um, Pharaoh, he was his, his wife, and he would take the women of people, you know what I'm saying? So he, t- she, he told, um, told his wife, Sarah, not to say that it was, she was his wife, but to, show, to say that she was his sister. For indeed, she is his sister, because they are the only two people who are worshiping Allah alone on the earth. 
those were the three, but Ibrahim is still worried about this because even though these are all justifiable, you know what I'm saying? And there is some truth to them all. But yet at the same time, uh, because uh, it's the day of judgment, Ibrahim is worried for his soul. So then go to Musa alayhi salam. Musa has asked the same thing to intercede. Musa also apologizes, saying that he killed some a soul which he was forbidden to kill. Even though that happened before, he was a prophet, and Allah forgave him that sin. But yet Musa says, my soul, my soul, go to Isa alayhi salam. Now the interesting thing in the hadith, when they come to Isa alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam doesn't mention a sin. But he says, go to Muhammad. For he is a servant who Allah has forgiven his past sins and his future sins. And when they come to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will say, Ana laha, ana laha. This belongs to me, this belongs to me. So then he enters, he, he goes to uh, underneath Allah's throne and he prostrates himself and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, Prophet says, will inspire me with different forms of praise which I can't say at this time. I'm incapable of you know, enunciating it and so forth. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased, Allah will say to the Prophet Muhammad O Muhammad, raise your head, ask and it will be granted, intercede and your intercession will be accepted. So the judgment will start. So this is Al-Maqam Al-Mahmud, the praise station, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah 17, I, I, I don't remember the, um, the ayah, uh, but it's in Surah 17, where, uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, perhaps your Lord will raise you, Asa Rabbuka, will raise you to a praise station. This is the praise station that only one human being has. And this is where the Prophet ﷺ told us that whoever says this dua after the adhan, right? That for asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the Prophet ﷺ wasila, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow the Prophet ﷺ to intercede on his behalf. Who knows that, that dua that we say after that? Raise your voice and let us be here. Yeah. <laughs> so as you see the last part of the draw وَبْعَثْهُ مَقَامًا مَحْمُودًا That, that addition to it is some of the scholars of hadith have said that the final sentence in مَكَلَّا تُخْلِفْ مَعَادْ that you do not go against your, your promise, you know, is, is a weak, you know what I'm saying. But the point is, is that, that thing, you know what I'm saying. You know, raise him to this praise station. When you say this dua after the adhan, the Prophet says, you in turn, Allah will allow the Prophet to intercede on your behalf in the danger. Yes. No, it's not necessary to raise your hands during the day. <coughs> the dua, the Prophet ﷺ used to uh, raise his hands during the dua, and sometimes not. So, depending upon when the dua is set. But to say that it's a condition to, when you're saying the dua to raise your hand, that's not true. But it's from the, it's from the etiquette of saying dua. It's from the etiquette of, of asking Allah to raise one's hands with his palms, you know, saying, showing that his impoverishment before Allah. So it's an etiquette. Of, 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 of dua, not a condition in the sense that if you don't do it, then the dua will not be accepted. Okay, so so the point is that's one form of intercession. This is specific for whom? The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
There are other forms of intercession, but we can summarize them up into two uh, other forms, which are, yes, they're general, okay? And that is to prevent the people of hell going into hell. To prevent someone who's destined to go to hell actually to enter hell. And to take out people from hell by the intercession of by the intercession. So to prevent them from going and to take them out. And the final one the final one is to raise the rank of a person in paradise. To raise the rank of the person in paradise. So these last two uh, categories of intercession, a person, for instance, his good deeds were not enough, he had some major sins which were unrepented from, and he's now supposed to go to hell. So intercession occurs, it prevents him from going to hell. Or he's entered into hell, may Allah preserve us from that. And so now the intercession occurs, taking him out of the hellfire. Or the third category, a person has entered into paradise, but his good deeds only give him this rank of paradise. So intercession is made for him. So now he even reaches a higher rank of paradise, which is greater than what he deserved for his, for his deeds and his effort when he was alive, when she was alive. These two types of intercession is general. Not only the Prophet Muhammad does so, but the other prophets, the angels, the martyrs. This is general intercession huh yeah so indeed these are general forms of intercession but, you know, the other prophets the angels the, the martyrs they do so I mean even small children you know, the hadith says that whoever has a small child who dies you know what I'm saying uh, that the child will be and, and the parents are patient for it yes We'll come to that. Inshallah, it's okay. So, so the point is, is that the the, the, the small children, uh, you know, the Prophet said, whoever you know loses a child and is patient upon that, the child will act. You know, what I'm saying, will will will, will, will take that the parents into paradise. And likewise, the child of the parent, if you lose a child, and what Hadith mentioned, the child acts as a, as, a, as a shield for the parent you know and the help of. So here, the small children are interceding. Okay, so, so this intercession is general. Okay. Now, who receives intercession? Who can gain an intercession of their intercession? This is something important to know. The first condition we have to understand that nobody intercedes unless Allah gives permission for the intercession. To intercede. As we took when we, we did yesterday, we, I think we, we came across it. That, you know, that no one can intercede unless Allah tells that person to intercede. Allah tells the person to intercede and for whom he can intercede. You and you, so and so, can intercede for so and so. It's not like the people believe that, for instance, uh, that the Prophet or anybody can just say, "Okay, I can intercede for my family and so forth." It's just 
you know, up to anybody's wishes and so forth. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the, the, that, that hadith which I was citing initially from Sahih al-Bukhari, where the Prophet said, then, then, then the hadith says after, you know, it says, uh, O Muhammad, raise your head, uh, whatever you ask, it will be granted to you, whatever interested in your intercession will be accepted. Then the hadith says that, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will assign for me a consignment to intercede for. So here the Prophet is assigned a consignment of people to intercede for. It's not up to his choice just to intercede for anybody of his ummah, but Allah allows him to intercede for such individuals. Because nobody is, you know, Allah is, you know, nobody can speak before Allah and do anything before Allah unless Allah gives permission to And that's why Ibrahim when he tries to intercede for his father, when on the hadith in Bukhari with Azar, his father, comes to Ibrahim on the day of judgment and says, Oh my son, today I will not disobey you. So Ibrahim invokes Allah as well. He said, You promised me, as mentioned in the Quran, you will not humiliate me on this day. What greater humiliation is it than my father will go to the hellfire? And then Allah says to Ibrahim, You know that paradise has been forbidden from the unbelievers. So look below you. And his father then is transformed into some type of lizard and is bloodied and taken into the hellfire. So, but the point is, is that Ibrahim could not take his father out of the hellfire. So, intercession is, the first condition is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows the person to intercede and tells him who he can intercede for. So who can he intercede for? The person has to have died upon Tawheed. That's why when Abu Huraira asked the Prophet sallallahu who is going to be the most happy people because they'll win your intercession? The Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever says La ilaha Allah, khalisan min qalbihi. Who says La ilaha Allah purely from his heart. So if you die upon Tawheed, then you are able to have intercession. If you, don't, if you die on Shirk or Kufr, no intercession will avail you. Yes, brother. No, no, no. Purely on the heart means that it, it, it is done, you know, purely is Tawheed. Having no Shirk in it. Having no hypocrisy in it. Like the, the hypocrite, he might say that in Allah, but in his heart he doesn't believe in Allah, he's the Prophet. So. No, no, even on, because the, the hadith, as we will come, that the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take out of, of, of the hellfire he whose iman is only equivalent to a mustard seed. Uh, no, prayer is, according to the majority of scholars, right? If you do not pray, then you do not have iman. Yeah, Not the majority of scholars are the strongest of them. Great. No, because when when the soul you know, as, as the Prophet said that, you know, Toba, so long as the soul hasn't reached the throat, when a person has, you know, starts moving out of this world into the hereafter and starts seeing the angels, then Toba is not accepted. So, so long as, you know, you know I'm saying, before you come to that moments of death, you know what I'm saying, then Toba is not accepted. So, um, that's why Fir'aun, you know what I'm saying, he's drowning and he says, I believe. Because what does it benefit him? 
Al-Ana, that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Now, your soul is, you know, you're drowning and you're, you're dying. That's not, that's so. You know, no. Okay, so I think we understand the issue of shafa'ah now. There are two conditions, right? The person, that, the person who intercedes, Allah selects him and then tells him who he can intercede for. And likewise, the person who he can intercede for must be a person of tawheed. And so therefore, um, anybody who has even a mustard grain of, of, of iman in his heart will eventually make it to paradise. But the point is, I mean, he might be burnt in hell for, you know, Allah knows. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, one, well, one, this is great news, you know what I'm saying, because we're all, you know, of people of tawheed. But also, it doesn't, you know, clear a person from not being punished and tormented. That severe chastisement. Okay, so the discussion question, will the people of Tawheed be condemned for eternity in the hellfire? No. Will those who committed major sins be condemned for eternity in the hellfire? No. Okay, and we, we discussed that. Uh, the next paragraph is that Allah has created paradise, Jannah, and has prepared it as an eternal abode for those close to him, his awliya. He has honored them therein. Oh, your, your question, brother, about the uh, woman and the child, right? Yeah, see, that means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew in his foreknowledge that that child who was buried at the time of death would grow up to be a Muslim. That's, that's what it is. Um, and that Allah created paradise, we said, this is uh, the Imam Ibn Abzid al-Qayrawani, and has prepared it as an eternal abode for those close to him. He has honored them therein by allowing them to look at his noble face. So, the, the two points here, I mean, I'm going to sort of pick up the pace a bit because we have to try to only have an hour or so. Um, the, the, the point here is that Allah created paradise and it is an eternal abode so, so paradise okay, uh, is something eternal and there are many ayat in the Quran uh, which point to this for instance uh, Surah 25 uh, Ayah 76 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the, the believers you know kharidina fiha uh, likewise um, uh, uh, in Surah Hud Surah 10 uh, not Surah 10, Surah 11, Surah Hud is number 11, uh, Ayah 108.
likewise um, uh, uh, in Surah Hud, Surah 10, uh, not Surah 10, Surah 11, Surah Hud is number 11, uh, Ayah 108, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they're there for all eternity, so long as the heavens and the earth will remain. Okay, so, you know, um, this is another evidence. Likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Falaq, Surah 65, uh, Surah Al-Falaq, Surah 65, Ayah 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to them that they're khalidina fiha abadan. They're there for all eternity. So, so the many verses in the Quran, these are three ayat that we have shown, uh, show us that the, the, that paradise is an eternal abode. Yes, brother. Now. No, the question would be, would we stop? No. Because, you see, we are created for eternity, but once, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't provide us the existence, right, then we would just disappear. So paradise has been created for eternity. The last, in the, but you see, here the last also means something else. The last, in the sense that every single uh, aim, he should be, he is the final aim. You see what I'm saying? So you know, so that he should be the object of worship. This is also in the, the sense of the name of an akhra. Okay. So no, there's no fear. There's no fear that you're going to be in paradise, and then you know, after a million or ten million or a billion or whatever number you can think in, in your mind or a computer can put out, that it's going to come to an end. No created for eternity but the point is is that even though it's created for eternity um, this eternity of the hereafter okay um, it, it, it continues to exist only because Allah provides for it its, its means of existence if Allah was to withdraw to that everything would just vanish you see what I'm saying so but Allah has promises that's why there's no fear yeah and that's the great, I mean, this is a great blessing from Allah, so I said that, I mean, you know, I mean, you have a small test of 60, 70 years, and then if you pass it, eternity in the end. You know. So, and, and then the greatest blessing, of course, that Allah honors the people of paradise with is that they allow them to, to they allow them to look at his, at his, at his face. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has pointed this out in uh, Surah Al-Qiyamah, um, uh, verses 22 and 23. Uh, Surah Al-Qiyamah, what number is it? 75? It might, it might be 75. That's, that, sounds, that sounds right. Surah 75, um, Ayah 22 and Ayah 23. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجُوهُنْ يَوْمَئِذٍ نَاوِرًا that on that day faces will be um, beaming, you know what I'm saying? Right. Looking at uh, their Lord. So, so therefore, uh, and likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Yunus, Surah 10, Ayah 26, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا الْحُسْنَ وَزِيَادَةً For those who do good deeds, they will have the best Al-Husna, which is paradise, and more. What is that more? 
The Prophet ﷺ said is that they get to look at Allah. So that's Surah 10, Ayah 26. And likewise, the Prophet ﷺ said is the Hadith in Bukhari, which you find in the, the last book, the Book of Tawheed. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ says, Verily you will see your Lord, like you look at, like you see this moon, you will not have to gather together to see him. Um, and then, and then the author mentions that this is the same paradise from which Adam, who was Allah's prophet, uh, fell out of. Because there's a question: Is is the garden which Adam was put on the same garden as we will return to a different garden? So the author, Ibn Zayd al-Qarawani, is of the opinion, which is the strongest opinion, that it's one and the same. And then he mentions that his falling out of paradise, Adam, was something known prior to its occurrence in Allah's foreknowledge. Right? Because remember we talked about Qadr yesterday, that Allah knows everything even before it was, exists, it comes about. And that Allah subhanahu wrote that in the preserved tablet. So Allah, of course, knows. So he's, he's referring back to Qadr. And then he talks about the hellfire, that he has pre- pre- prepared it as an eternal abode for those who disbelieve and turn away from his signs, his scriptures, and his messengers, and that Allah will veil them from seeing him. So the, the, uh, the fact that people will be in the hellfire for eternity, there's many evidences. Uh, one of them is Surah 4, Ayah 14. Surah 4, Ayah 14, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger, and oversteps Allah's boundaries, Allah will place him in a fire, for all eternity. And likewise, the Surah Al-Taghabun, which I think you said was what? Was number Surah Al-Taghabun? 64, 64. This is number 64. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا that those who disbelieve and deny our signs, أُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابُ النَّارِ They are the companions of the hellfire. خَارِجِينَ فِيهَا They are there for all eternity. وَبِئْسَ الْمُصِيرِ What a horrible abode. So that's Surah 64, Ayah 10. And likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has punished them, which is the greatest punishment. I mean, this punishment is greater than the punishment of the fire and... And, and the boiling drink and, and the putrid drink and all the different things they have is that they will not be able to see Allah. So that's the greatest punishment. Just like the greatest blessing is to see Allah, that's the greatest punishment they'll have. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in Surah Al-Mutafifin, That nay, that on that day they will be veiled from their Lord, sing their Lord. Mufafifin uh, is towards the end of the Quran. 80 something is going to be. Okay, so. <coughs> uh, who are the inhabitants of paradise? They are the believers. Uh, will they see Allah? Yes, this is true. Huh? What? 83. 83 in the verse was um, 15. Uh, who, so the believers uh, will enter into paradise. They will see Allah with their own eyesight. This is something true. The inhabitants of uh, hells are the disbelievers. They will not see their Lord. Uh, then we come to, the, the author now talks about the Day of Judgment. And he mentions that Allah wa ta'ala will come on the Day of Judgment with the angels and the angels will come in, in rows. And this is in Surah Al-Fajr. 
was the Hajj what is eighty six something like that? Eighty is one of the eighty nine, eighty nine. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, that um Wajah Safan Safan your Lord and the angels will come, you know, ranks and ranks, uh, uh, to judge so Allah will come to judge the creation of the day of judgment. Okay? And also another proof is uh, that Allah will come to judge the creation is in Surah 2, Ayah 210. So this is one of Allah's attributes, that Allah comes to judge the creation. Okay? We understand now about, if somebody was to say what to come, I mean, somebody said to me that so-and-so came from one place to another place, you understand what that means. But when we say that Allah comes to judge the creation, we know that Allah comes, right, in a manner which does not huh, resemble His creation, in a manner which befits Him, Azzawajal. So Allah will come to judge the creation. And likewise, the, the, the people will be presented uh, before Allah Azza wa Jal. Uh, all the people will be presented before Allah for judgment, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, in Surah Al-Haqqah, which is, um, I don't know, it's like 60-something or 70, in the early 70s. Huh? 69, Surah 69. Allah says in Surah 69, Ayah 18, يَوْمَ إِذِنْ تُعْرِضُونَ on that day you'll be presented before Allah. La taqfa minkum khafiyah. Nothing will be hidden from Allah regarding you. And likewise in Surah Al-Kahf, Surah 18, Ayah 48, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they will be presented before the Lord in rows. We have come, brought you like we created you the first in the beginning. Which refers back to being created and they will be raised naked and uncircumcised and barefooted. Also, one of the things that happens on the Day of Judgment is that the balances are set up. The balances are set up. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has mentioned this in his book, uh, in Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah 21, verse 47, that on that day we will place these just balances on the Day of Judgment. We'll place the just balances. No soul will be uh, uh, any injustice will be shown, shown to it even if it is the equivalent of a mustard seed we will come with it 2147 and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in um, Surah Al-Mu'minun the 23rd Surah of the Quran Ayah 102 says فَمَنْ that those who, whose balances are heavy, they are the successful. So Surah 23, 102. Now. So what is weighed in the balance? Three things are weighed. Sometimes the records are weighed in the balance. And sometimes the actual act, the actual deed, becomes weighed in the balance. And sometimes human beings are placed in a balancing way. So sometimes records are weighed, your books of deeds. Sometimes the act, the deed itself is placed in the balance, and sometimes people are weighed. Um, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions... Uh, uh, um, Okay, so then the author, uh, Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, 
uh, says that, since we're talking about the balances, and as I mentioned that in the balance you will have either your book, books will be weighed, or either people, or either deeds. So he talks about the book. He says, the servants will be given the records holding their deeds. And then he quotes the ayah, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أُوْتِيَ كِتَابَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ Whoever is given uh, his book by his right hand, he will be judged an easy judging. But those who are given his book by his left hand and behind his back, he will be burnt in the blazing fire. And that's the sort of inshikaq. We'll get one of these uh, surahs in the, in the end of the Quran. Towards the end of the Quran, ayahs 9 through 11. It should be in, huh, 84? Yeah. 84, uh, uh, 9 through 11 now. So, so the point is, is that, what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? If you're given the book in your right hand, you will be judged an easy judging. What is this easy judging? What is this easy judging? The Prophet needs to ask Allah, Oh Allah, judge me an easy judging. What is, it, what is this easy judging? Well, the Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak to his believing servant. And we'll say to him, oh, my servant, didn't you commit this sin on this day and this sin on this day? And the servant, you know, his sins will be recounted to him and you will then confess all your sins. And you will see in front of you the hellfire. And to your right the hellfire. To the left the hellfire. Until after you're recounting all your sins, you feel that, you know, you're going to, you know, be taken to the hellfire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then say to his believing servant, just like I covered your sin in this world. In other words, nobody knew that you did these sins. I am likewise going to cover you in the hereafter. So that's the easy reckoning. The easy judgment. But the severe one is one who is judged publicly in front of the creation. In front of the angels, the prophets, and other human beings. And the Prophet said, who, who, is, who is publicly judged, he will be punished. Now, so the discussion questions, will Allah come to judge humanity? That is true. What is the meaning of the balance? The balance is, is, is something which will be erected. It has two pans. And in there, uh, books uh, or deeds or people will be weighed. And how will people take their books? They'll either take it by their right hand or they'll take it by their left hand and behind uh, their back. Now, <coughs> the next matter of the Day of Judgment which the author mentions is that of a sirah. And a sirat is a bridge which is over the hellfire. A bridge over the hellfire. And the author says that this bridge, a sirat, is true and that people will pass over it according to the degree of their good deeds. So those who will be saved from the hellfire will be of different degrees in the speed by which they are saved. And there will be people who, because of their evil deeds, will cause them to destroy them and they will fall off the bridge into the hellfire. So there is this bridge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will place above the hellfire and the bridge as has been described to us by the Prophet and other hadith is as thin as the edge of a sword as thin excuse me, as the, as the as strand of hair and as sharp as a sword's edge and it's the distance of the hellfire the distance of the hellfire so we know that in the hellfire I mean the Prophet said there will be some people you know, the hellfire, who's their molar teeth, right, will be the size of Mount Uhud. And that's because, you know, the hellfire is so intense. If, if human beings are put in this form into the hellfire, 
I mean, the punishment, the fire would just consume them so quickly there would be no punishment, you know what I'm saying? But because of the intensity of the, of the flame in order for them to feel the punishment, right? They're given these very large, you know, grotesque shapes and so forth, so the, the flame can, you know, burn them. And so therefore, um, uh, some of the people in the hellfire will have, like, their size of their molar tooth will be like the size of the mountain of water. So how big is that person? So if you have all these, you know, all these, you know, I mean, human beings in there, right, in this fire, then how long is this bridge that you have to cross? So this is the bridge that people have to cross. And, and the bridge is like the bridge in this life, the Salat al-Mustaqim in this life. A person who's not on the Salat al-Mustaqim in this life cannot cross the bridge. A person who walks this, the straight path in this life will be able to cross the Salat al-Mustaqim. the people who cross the Salat al-Mustaqim will be to the, the degree of their good deeds. So as the Prophet explained to us, some will pass over it like the blinking of an eye. Your eye blinks just like that, they'll pass over. And some will pass over like the flash of lightning. A little bit longer than an eye blink. And some will pass over like a strong wind. And others will pass over like the speed of a racehorse. And others will pass over like the speed of a camel, which is less than a horse racer, the speed of a horse. And other human beings will run. And other human beings will walk. And there will even be human beings who will crawl. And some human beings will slip off the bridge and fall into the hellfire because of their evil deeds. So this is one of the things that occurs on the Day of Judgment. And um, what happens when they fall off the bridge, that the side of the bridge there are these hooks. As the Prophet said, describe them, that they look uh, like uh, the uh, thorns of the Sa'adan tree in, in, or bush in, in, in Central Arabia. And it will hook them and pull it into the hellfire. Drop themselves by, yes. Yes, it's, that's one of the things that I was asking about the people have to crawl over the bridge. Is that one of the things that removes the sins? Yes. Because, you see, here this is helping the person remove the sin. You know what I'm saying? If it's taking him to, to crawl across this bridge. And because you people, that you're, if you take the other uh, hadith together, the people you pass the bridge according to, you know, your good deeds, which is, uh, comes to you as light. Because it's darkness. So... It's extreme darkness. You know, you have the hellfire vanilla, it's extreme darkness, cannot see, and there's, there's this bridge which is as thin as the hair, strand as sharp as a sword. So how can you cross? I mean, now, if we imagine this was nighttime and we close the lights, right? And we told the brothers, okay, run as quick as you can out of this thing, and people are hitting the wall and, you know, hitting here and tripping over each other and so forth. So how can you cross like that? So it's your light of your good deeds which will allow you to, to cross over it. And, and, and so, therefore, the... Um, in the light of the good deeds, uh, the, there will be some person who his good deeds will be just like upon his thumb, you know what I'm saying? Just like a glowing, you know what I'm saying? It will glow and it will go out. So he crawls, and then it goes out and he stops. And it glows if he takes another step, and it goes out, and then it glows and he takes another step, and he crawls until he crosses over this bridge. So the terror in his heart, not knowing that he might fall into the hellfire at any moment, that's going to expi- expiate these sins. Because, you know, in order to you to reach paradise, you have to be purified. So this helps you with the purification. You know, yes, brother. One by one. 
Okay, so that's the Sirat. Then the author mentions something else uh, regarding the, the affairs of the Day of Judgment, which is the, the Hawl, the basin of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ was given a river in paradise called the Kotha. In Na'afad after Kotha. We have given you kosher. And this, this river in paradise flows out of paradise and it collects in a pool at the stand where people will be raised on the Day of Judgment. And the distance, the size of this pool is such that it's a month's distance, its width, and it's a month, the distance of its length, the breadth of its length. Around this pool are cups, equivalent to the number of the stars of the sky, which people use to drink you know, uh, from this pool. And uh, the, the, the pool, the, the, the water inside the pool of the Prophet is whiter than milk and sweeter than honey. And its scent is more beautiful than musk. And the Prophet will be waiting for us there at the pool to give us a drink. Uh, it's, it's like the Prophet is like a shepherd. Have you ever seen a shepherd who takes his flock to to a, a pool to drink? It's the same thing. And the Prophet will be able to recognize us to be from his ummah because of the effects of wudu. Because from the wudu, our faces and our hands up to our elbows and our and our feet to our ankles will shine, be brilliant like the shining of the moon. So when and so that's why the Prophet you know called us. You know, he describes it like that horse is a, a term for it, that type of horse, you know, it's, it, which is completely dark, you know, it's like all brown or all black, right? But it has, its face is white and its hoofs are white, you see what I'm saying? So it's like such will be in that same thing, you see. And so when the Prophet recognizes us from that, you know, he will say, this is a person from my ummah. This is how he'll know us. Because, of course, the Prophet was able to recognize his companions, he knew them. But how would he be able to recognize us and he hasn't seen us? Why have we seen him? It's by this thing. And that's why Abu Huraira says, after talking about the, the, he says, whoever can increase, you know, increase his glitter, then let him do it. Increase his glitter by doing wudu constantly, uh, as much as possible. The Prophet said, only the believer, you know, is always on wudu, you know what I'm saying? And this is the quality of a believer, that he's constantly upon wudu, preserving his wudu. And likewise, increasing it by, you know, by increasing it by, you know, having more, you know, above the elbow, above the ankle, so to increase your glitter and your brightness. So the point is, is that the uh, Prophet ﷺ will, will meet the Prophet ﷺ, and if the Prophet ﷺ, and you drink from there, you'll never thirst again. But there are some people who, when they approach the Prophet ﷺ, the angels will be taking them away. That's what the author, Ibn Abi Zayd al-Khayrawani, said. He says, whoever replaces his religion with another, or changes his religion with innovation, will be driven away from it. The pool. And this shows us the danger of bid'ah in the religion. Because the Prophet will say, Ummati, Ummati, he's a member of my community, a member of my community. Why are you taking him away? Why are the angels are pulling him away, dragging him away? And they will say, you do not know what he has introduced after you. You do not know what he has introduced after you. So either introduced in the sense that he changed his religion, instead of being a Muslim he became an unbeliever, be it Christian, Jew, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist, or he introduced something and he made some sort of bid'ah in the religion. 
That's why we always, I mean, the people, the Sunnah, we always warn people, you know, as the Prophet to warn every single khutbah that the worst of affairs are innovations. Why? Because this is, this is the result of the innovations. I mean, the deed is not accepted which you innovate, and also it, it results in you being denied to drink from the, the pool of the Prophet Yes, but The river is in, in, in Jannah, the coastal river is in Jannah, but it, it flows out of Jannah and it collects in the stand, you know, say where the people are standing on the day of judgment. And every prophet has a, a basin for his people. But the basin of our Prophet is the largest and the, the best and so forth. This is another blessing that we're from the Ummah of Muhammad. and what he introduced after you which is innovation so when, 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 when the angels say this you don't know what he has introduced meaning he either changed his religion or he made some sort of bid'ah the Prophet will say suhqan, suhqan. take him far away take him far away I mean imagine this, if you came to now to, to any of your brothers even not, not one of your closest brothers in the faith just anybody in the masjid you know what I'm saying or any sister in the masjid right and you came to them and you know what I'm saying and you wanted to sit with them and you said get out of my face how would you feel? You feel hurt. So what happens if the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, says, "Take him away, take him away." So that's why these matters of bid'ah. You know, people think, "Oh, it's you know just something. It's, you shouldn't make too much an issue." No, it's a very serious matter. Serious matter in in in, in, in terms of uh, one's religion. I mean, it has serious effects. So this just being one of them. Yes, brother. Right, people don't understand the brother saying, okay, it's hard for people to tell you the bid'ah. So that's why we have to give da'wah. And, you know, and in giving da'wah, I mean, obviously, if you want to remove bid'ah from people, you have to first, you know, get them to understand what is the rights of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu upon them. Because if a person has rooted in his heart, right, that he must believe in the Prophet Sallallahu and whatever the Prophet Sallallahu says, he accepts, whether he understands it or not, that he must obey the Prophet Sallallahu the Prophet Sallallahu forbids him from something, he must avoid it, he must love the Prophet ﷺ, he must follow the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. and this is rooted in the person's heart, right? And then you come to him and you say, look brother, this is not, or sister, this is not what you're doing, it's not from the son of the Prophet ﷺ. It has no basis in it. Then the person will say, yes. Jazakumullahu khairan. Or if the person argues, he says, well, I thought there was a hadith. Then you can say, well, no, the hadith was weak, and you show him, or I mean, whatever you know, the motivation is. But if a person initially doesn't understand what are the rights that Prophet Muhammad ﷺ has upon him, and if you tell him, well, the Prophet said it, so what? Then obviously, I mean, you can't cure the bid'ah, right? So we need to sometimes take a step backwards, right, to make sure that we, we make the, the foundation sound. Then when we come in, we tell them about the bid'ah, you know what I'm saying? Um, and also one way to remove the bid'ah is, is not, I mean, when we're giving da'wah, sometimes brothers, they just they talk about the bid'ah. But the other way is to teach people the sunnah. Is when you teach the people the sunnah, and they start doing these hadith and so forth, they fill their lives with acting from the hadith of the Prophet there's no time for them to do for that. Okay, so, so, yes, so, so we now we come to, so we came to the hell. Now, it, it would seem to me, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, that it would have been better had the author, rahmatullah he had mentioned um, the, um, the health before the Salat. 
because it's according to the majority of the scholars, or the, the strongest opinion, uh, that people first come to the hell before they cross the Siddharth. Because people will be standing on the Day of Judgment, they'll be thirsty, so they come, they drink, and then those who, you know, who pass the next stage, who get their books by the right hand and so forth, the, the bounce, and then they go to cross the bridge, you see what I'm saying? So, although some scholars thought that the bridge comes before the hell, but I mean, but it, it would seem, and perhaps Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani is one of those scholars, but I think as Ibn Hajar said and, and others, um, um, who else I'm trying to quote, the author of Al-Nawamir um, has mentioned that the, that the bridge uh, follows the Sirah. Um, and then the author, after talking about these affairs, he's now concluded about the affairs of the Day of Judgment. So now he comes to what is Iman. Because, you know, we mentioned that that in order for a person to come out of the hellfire, he has to have iman, even if it's as little as the uh, mustard seed. And also that the, uh, the paradise is for the people of iman. So what is iman? This is the next question. And so the author then mentions, Rahmatullah, he says that iman is defined, it consists of a statement by the tongue, ikhlas, purity of intention in the heart, and deeds by the lips. It increases with good deeds and decreases uh, with a decrease of good deeds, in other words, with evil deeds, okay? Hence, through deeds, Iman increases and decreases. Okay. So, Iman, he's defined it as that Iman consists of statement, belief, and action. That's what Iman is. So that's why when we translate Iman as belief or faith, you know, sometimes it's not really an accurate translation because Iman in our religion is statement, belief, and action. You can't you can't say, I believe, but you don't want to have a statement. You don't want to announce. That's why, remember in the beginning when we started this course, we said, these are the matters that you believe in your heart and you announce by your tongue. So, uh, and the proof is, is that Allah subhanahu uh, the Prophet said in a hadith uh, reported by Muslim in the book of Iman, he said that Iman consists of uh, so many odd, 60 odd branches or 70 odd branches. The highest is La ilaha Allah. The highest is to say La ilaha Allah. The least is to remove something harmful from the from the road, and modesty, al-haya, is a shu'ba, a branch from the branches of faith. 